All right. Well, happy Resurrection Day, church. He is risen. Amen, amen. If you are new to church, then you were like, what just happened? Um, he said something, everybody else said something. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. And here's the deal. That's fine. It's okay. It's okay to not always know what's going on. This is, this is a good thing sometimes. I always joke or often joke that I do my best to not know what's going on. And people are like, but you're the pastor. And I'm like, I, I don't, don't know what's going on. I don't always. What I do know is God always knows what's going on. And that is a beautiful and good thing. So church, happy Resurrection Day. Happy celebration of the rising of our Savior. I don't think there's any better news that has ever hit this world. There's never been a headline that has or could trump the news that Jesus Christ, having been dead for three days, is alive again. If there had been newspaper headlines back then, and if anybody had been paying attention to Jerusalem, that would have been you know, the best thing ever. We'd all have that in, on, in frames on our walls and whatnot. Church, there's a lot of things that we hear that make no difference to us. There's a lot of things we hear that make no difference to us. Perhaps something like news that a distant family member that we've never met, never even heard of, has recently passed away. It doesn't really make much difference to us. Might be a brief, tiny wave of compassion for those that knew him. We might, as believers, wonder if they knew Jesus or not. But then soon, the, the item that we keep forgetting to add to our grocery list hits our brain, and suddenly we never think about that thing again, about that family member again. There are also things that we know that make no difference to us. I often joke that my wife is a fount of useless information. That unless she goes on a game show at some point, there are things in her head that do not matter to anybody, including her and me. But they're cool. But they're cool. Now, to be fair to my wife, she's also got a lot of information that's helpful. Sometimes she can't remember that, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are things we hear that make no difference to us. There are things that we know that make no difference to us, but there are also things that we hear and know that do make a difference to us. There are things that we hear and know that make a big difference to us. Amen? There are some things that we hear and know that would make us fools to not respond to. For example, if you're in a crowded art museum and you hear somebody yell that there is a fire... That should change the next thing you do, right? You're probably not going to simply wander over to the next piece of art and begin contemplating it without first confirming that there is, in fact, no fire, right? Now, in knowing, maybe you discovered that there's a fire, you would be an even bigger fool to then go right back to what you were doing. And rather than, in haste, run in the correct direction. Right? 
See, there are some things that, that we hear and know that do not matter. There are some things in this life that we hear and know, and it matters for everything. Today is Resurrection Sunday. This is the day that we celebrate the rising from death of Jesus Christ, who had just three days earlier died on the cross for our sins. The news of those two events is the kind of news that we would be fools to not take into account. We would be fools if we would hear that, know that, in any way believe that, and not let it change every minute of the rest of our lives. Agreed? The trouble is, some of us are fools. We hear the good news of the death of Jesus on the cross for us, and we hear the good news of the resurrection. Some of us even believe this news. And we don't let it change anything about who we are. It's like a, a good bit of information in passing to kind of know about, and that's where it ends. Today we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to chapter 5. i got to open my Bible up to there, so I'll invite you to do the same. There's probably a Bible in your pew. We'd love for you to open that. It will come up here, but it's always nice to have a Bible in front of you. One of the reasons I like having a Bible in front of me uh, when I'm listening to a message is because when the pastor gets boring, I can just keep reading the Bible. And here's the deal. That's fine. Because whether you're hearing the word from the person up front or you're sitting back there reading it on your own, praise the Lord. Now, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible in front of you is our gift to you today. We'd love for you to take it with you and read. Okay, not just to have, not just to leave on your bedside table or on your desk or in your book bag or whatever, but to have and read. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're just going to look at two verses today. They are verses 14 and 15. Again, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 through 15. And here's what it says. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised for his sake was died or has died was died and was raised this is a truth that we should not let go of without it changing who we are what we are how we do how we live everything this is not news that we can, can, let, can hear and let it kind of sit in our head and not do anything with it. In fact, the news of this forces in us a response. Either we're going to live for it or we're going to deny it and reject it. And Jesus is really clear in the scriptures. There is only two paths. One, we, we hear it, we believe it, we live it. The other is we deny it. And I pray, church, that today we would be a people who would hear this news and not let it go without changing our 
lives. Amen? I want to keep things really simple today. I want to talk about the love of Jesus in his death, the love of Jesus in his resurrection, and the love of Jesus in how we respond to him. So starting again in verse 14 and 15, I want to move to 15 for us first. I want to start at the end. I often like starting at the end when I'm, when I'm studying a passage because a lot of times you start at the end, you can kind of do that and you can trace it to what was said before and you trace it to what was said before and it makes far more sense what was said first when you start at the end, which sounds weird, but then what we should do is start at the beginning and work back to the end so that we make sure we've got a good picture of this. But the final words of this passage are this. It says, for their sake, died and was raised. Now, if I add some words here so we understand, it was for their sake that he, Christ, died and was raised. Now, who are those who live? This is for those whose sake it is. It is those who live. We see this at the beginning of verse 15. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Those who would live are those who Christ died for. And my prayer is that those who live are you and me. It is all those who, upon hearing the news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, have placed their hope and their faith in Christ. It is for them, for you, that Christ died and rose again. What amazing love this is. What amazing love. Jesus' words in John 15, 13. This is John 15, 13. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus' standard for love is laying down his life. And that's the very thing we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for us. He laid down his life for you, if you would believe. Romans 5, 8 through 10 tells us this. Again, this is God's way of showing love. It says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We are saved from our sins. We are saved from the wrath of God which would punish us for our sins eternally. Verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. His love is proved to us, church. His love is proved to us in that he died for us. What great love he has for us. What great love he has for us. His death for those of us who would die with him. 
Let's look at this passage again. It tells us in verse 14, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Now there's a really important question here that we might ask is, who is all? And there's some really big theological debates I'm not getting into on Easter today. Specifically in this passage, the all he's talking about is not everyone, everywhere, in all places, in all times. Specifically in this passage, what Paul is talking about is those who would believe. It is the all of us who would believe. And if you've ever given your life to Jesus, he's speaking of you. And so Jesus Christ died for you. So what? So that you too would die yourself in with him. Now Christ made this happen. We say, well, why is death a good thing for me? Well, death's a good thing for me because the resurrection's coming. And because for every one of us, before we gave our lives to Jesus, we're a people full of sin and evil and hatred and ugliness and whatever else you want to fill in the blank there. And that all has to die with Christ on the cross. And he does that. Why? Because of his great love for us. Church, his death for those of us who would die with him is fully sufficient. And it is effective for all those who believe. It is sufficient. It is enough for you. It is enough for me. And it is enough for everyone who will come to Christ in the course of their life and trade in their old dead self for the new life in Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 10 tells us this. Paul writes, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Church, we need to be a people who confess with our heart and with our mouth, that he's Lord and that he is Savior. Some of us haven't done that yet. Some of us are aware of the good news of Jesus' death for us, and we've let that good news pass us by. We know it. Some of us believe it, but we have never believed. We have never confessed that he is Savior and Lord. Church, we need to be a people that know the love of Jesus through his death. And if we know his love through his death, then I would ask the question, what in our lives could ever make us think that God doesn't love us? If he's willing to go to the cross for you while you were still an enemy of God, how is it that you, now a believer could ever think God's love does not extend to you because of some new sin or new problem or new circumstance in your life. John Piper says this about Paul. He says, When Paul met the miseries of life and felt himself threatened, like a lamb sent to the slaughter, he never used this misery as an argument that he was no longer loved by Christ. 
Instead, he threw the love of Christ back into the face of misery and said, you cannot separate me from this massive love. In fact, this love with which I am loved by the Son of God will make me more than a conqueror in this distress. Church, I don't know what you face right now. I don't know what problems you face right now. I know that when I'm struggling and when the world's kind of crashing down around on me, one of my first thoughts, and it's a dumb thought, is God must be disappointed with me. God must not love me anymore. He must be mad at me for something. Church, if Christ died for you while you were still his enemy, How possibly could you separate yourself from the love of God as one of his children? You can't. But not only do we need to know the love of God through Jesus dying on the cross, we need to know the love of God, know the love of Jesus in the resurrection as well. Again, in verse 15, I'm just going to read this again because some of us have heard this news and we've ignored it. Maybe today you won't. For their sake, he died and was raised. For their sake, he died. Now, I'm adding the word he there just so it makes sense. He died and was raised. Now, we can pretty easily think about the cross being for us, right? I mean, Jesus died. This is very little benefit to him. And he went there, why? Because he loves us. But we think about the resurrection, and for some of us, we think the resurrection was for him. Right? He died, he was obedient, he did what he needed to do. But what do we get out of it? The text right here tells us that Jesus died for those of whom live. But not only that, he was raised for those who live. He was not just murdered for you, but he was raised to life for you. And I'm not trying to build a man-centered gospel here because we know that the resurrection brings glory to God. We know that really ultimately is about him, but God is awesome enough for it to be about him and you at the same time. And the text tells us that this was for who? For you and for me. If you are one of those who live because of what he did. This is good news for us. This is beautiful news for us. What do we gain? Well, here's a few things that we gain. Number one, we gain an assurance that the cross was effective. The first thing we as believers gain in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the cross was effective to save us from our sins. Because here's the reality. Any old crackpot can come out and say, hey, look, everybody, I'm going to die for your sins. I mean, I could stand up here in front of you and be like, all right, everybody, tonight I'm going to die, and when I die, it's going to be so that you all are forgiven for your sins. And some of you might believe that. I, I wouldn't. Jesus already did that. Now, Jesus could have said that. And if he was never resurrected from the dead, some of us would probably believe him. But because he was resurrected from the dead, it gives us an assurance that what he sought, what he said, and what he taught was true. Because the crackpot doesn't get resurrected on the third day. Only the Lord does. 
And so the first thing we gain in the resurrection of our Lord is an assurance that the forgiveness of sins is real. And church, we need to hear that. We need to know that there is nothing that we have ever done or could ever do that cannot and will not and honestly has not already been forgiven if we are in him. The assurance comes in that Jesus is alive. And what he says is true. The second thing we gain is new life. Romans 6.4, I'm going to turn there. We're going to be in Romans 6 for just a minute here, so you might turn there too. Romans 6, 4. It says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, we too might walk in newness of life. The second benefit we gain in the resurrection that we get as believers, as those who, who have put our faith and our trust in Jesus, is new life. New life. We're going to come back to this in a few minutes in a, in a really heavy way right at the end of the sermon. But let me just suffice it to say at this point that what this means is that we are no longer enslaved to what we once were. But we have a future and a hope that is different from where we've been. For some of you, you need to hear this right now. Because who you have been is not good for you and it's not good for God. And what he's offering to you in the news that Jesus died and rose again is a chance for that old life to be an old life. And he's offering to you now a new life. And you have it in him if you believe. The third thing we gain as believers, as those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is that death is defeated. Again, back to Romans 6, 9, says, death no longer has dominion over him. And hear this. If it doesn't have dominion over him, it doesn't have dominion over you. Because in him, we die with him. He dies, we die, we who believe die with him. Death has no dominion over him or you. Now that doesn't mean you're not going to die today if Jesus tarries. Or not today, I'm not promising you're going to die today, that would be bad. It doesn't mean that you won't die at some day, at some point, if Jesus tarries. Right? If he waits to come back, every one of us will face death. Some of us sooner than later. But what it means is that even after we die in this life, and again, hear this, if Jesus comes back while we're still alive, we're never going to face that death either. That even if we face death, we too, like Christ, will be raised from the dead eternally. Death doesn't have the final answer, the final word, the final saying. Death is defeated. It has no dominion over the Lord of life. And if you are in him, you will not die eternally. But he will raise us forever. The fourth thing that we gain, the fourth thing we gain from the resurrection is simple, and many of you just need to hear this little bit today. We gain hope. We gain hope. We gain hope that no matter what our circumstances happen to be at any given moment, God is bigger. The worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the world I'm not exaggerating. I am not speaking out. 
the history of the world, the worst thing that's ever happened is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of life, the creator of all things, died. Period. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. And if God can overcome that, what in your life can he not overcome? If he can overcome the worst thing that has ever taken place, there is nothing in your life that he cannot overcome. Now I'm not telling you he will overcome it the way you want him to. But what I am saying is that there is hope for there is nothing in our lives that are too big for God to handle and to work through in us and to grow us in and to grow us through. We are a people who have hope if, if we are one of those who have found life in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So church, hear this. This truth that Christ died for us, this truth that Christ was raised for us, should, friends, cause in us a response. We talk a lot here at Calvary about making Jesus non-ignorable. What that means is we as a church want to force every person that we encounter to either choose Jesus or choose not Jesus. We don't want anybody sitting on the fence going, I don't know. We don't want anybody ignoring that he is there, that he has done what he says he's done. We want everybody, whether good or bad, to choose to either make him the Lord of their life or to make him nothing in their life. But we don't want anybody to, to think that they can ride right down the middle and, and, and kind of like the idea of Jesus but never give their response over to him. And that brings us to verse 14 here. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going back to verse 14. And here's what it says. It says, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that the one has died for all, therefore all have died. And died for all, that hear this, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Some of us treat the truth that Jesus died and was raised as passing information as no big deal. This truth is what has changed the earth for close to 2,000 years. This truth is what led Peter, a royal screw-up by every account across every gospel. Until what? Until Jesus died and rose again and suddenly Peter becomes what? A disciple who gets it right. Not every time. It's not perfect. But he goes from a coward to one who would stand in front of thousands and preach. Okay, this same truth is, is the truth that led the other disciples to go out into the world, the places with languages they didn't even speak, to proclaim the goodness and the good news of Jesus Christ, of his death and his resurrection. This same news is, is the news that has counted thousands, millions of Christians who have come before us to give their lives in such a way 
that you and I are sitting in a church in Lahana, Colorado today worshiping Jesus Christ. Because they heard this news and they didn't let it just kind of pass by them. But they knew they had to do something with it. They knew it had to change them. And it did. And if you think about it, you, a believer, can trace your faith and your history, if you could, if you knew it, all the way back through one faithful believer and another faithful believer and another who let the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection change the course of their lives to cause them like me to preach out in front of crowds like some of you who proclaim in the streets or, or who go and speak to your neighbors or to make sure that your kids have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So you figured out that this news changes us. And what it tells us here in verse 14 is that it controls us. And I'll just be real blunt on this. We hate this as Americans, as modern Christians. We, we hate the idea that we might be controlled, right, by anybody. Whether it be a, a family member that we hate, whether friends, the government, we hate this idea. We, we often hate the idea that God would control us. And so we might even revile against this. We might hear that and think, ah, no. But here's what this means. What this means is that that we know that there is a news that, that drives us. There is a power. There is a truth that changes us. That's what it means when it says it controls us. It means I can't do anything but respond to it. It controls us. It's so good. It's so awesome that I can't let it not. And why would I? In verse 15, we we see kind of how this plays out. When it tells us, when when he tells us that that those who live are going to no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What that means is that when we become alive in Christ, we stop living for for us. We stop living for our glory and for our benefit and for us. And we start living for him. Why? Because he's worth it. He's far more worth it than I am. And so we, we begin living for him. Back in John 15, which I read verse 13 from earlier, that, that there's greater, no greater love than one lay down his life for his friends, we, we read otherwise in that passage, starting in verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, verse 14 is where this starts to get interesting. Not that the other's not interesting, but this is where it gets new. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. See, the good news of Jesus Christ's death and his resurrection, the knowledge of the love for us in those acts of God for us compels us. It controls us to do what? To obey Christ. And to be a people 
that listen to what he says and does what he says to do. So let me ask you a question today. Are you someone who when Christ says, do this, you do it? Or are you someone that when Christ says, do this, you say, eh, maybe later. Or maybe never. There's no gray area here. We either believe the death and the resurrection of Jesus or we don't. We either live like we believe it or we don't believe it. Because this is not news that you can ignore. This is not news that you can have in your head and do nothing with. And so we look at this. We say, well, what does it look like? What does it really look like when the love of Christ is alive in us and it's controlling us? Well, let me give you three C's, if you're taking notes. Three C's. I almost never do this. Three C's for what it means Christ controls us, that his love controls us. Here's the first word, it constrains. His love constrains us. You might also think about the word restrain. It restrains us. It, it, it constrains us from sin. See, as we realize what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his love for us on the cross what we quickly realize is that it was our sin that put him there. And as those who love him back, in the love he has for us, what we don't want to do anymore is keep on sinning. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. There's a lot of times where we suddenly look back and we realize, man, I really messed that up. Man, I really just sinned. But the love of Christ constrains us and it restrains us from the things that damage our relationship with God. Not only does the love of Christ constrain, but the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. It charges us. It sends us. The Spirit, acting in love, speaks into our heart and says, Hey, go talk to your neighbor about Jesus, or says, hey, you're in for a big change this year. And I'm going to send you somewhere else. The love of Christ compels us. It compels us to, to treat people around us with love and respect and with honor as people who are made in the image of God. The love of Christ in us compels us to grow in our faith, to study God's word, to to do a million things. I mean, I can't even spend the time here to tell you what the love of Christ compels me as a believer to do. It's like a child who knows the love of their parents and wants to do everything to honor them. So too, the love of Christ compels us. And here's the third C. The love of Christ changes us. The love of Christ changes us. And here I want to bring us to the, the words that are right after this passage in 2 Corinthians, starting in verse 16, where Paul writes this, From now on, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. 
The love of Christ controls us by changing us. It doesn't leave us who we were to continue to fight in all the same areas of sin and struggle and pain and problems. But it changes us, sometimes drastically and immediately. I've met people, I've known people, who the day they came to Christ, their addictions to heroin and all kinds of crazy hard substances, poof, done, and they never craved it again. I've known people the same thing that for cigarettes. I've known the same thing that for people with porn addictions. With any number of other things. I have seen that, I've experienced that, it's amazing. Sometimes that happens over time. Where he changes us bit by bit by bit. And after two, three, ten, five, fifteen years, you run into an old friend. And they say, man, I don't even recognize you. You are different than you were then. And praise God, his, his love doesn't leave us where we've been. But it drives us forward and it changes us into being new. So we are not just struggling through this life as believers. We have been killed, put to death with Jesus on the cross, and we are raised to new life with him out of the tomb. Church, the empty tomb that we talk about isn't just Jesus' empty tomb. It's yours, too. And so let me ask you, has this news changed your life? Has this news made you different than you were before? Or has this news gone in one ear, bounced around in that head of yours, and then left out the other one? This is news that does not leave us the same. It just doesn't. It changes everything. I don't know where you are with the Lord today. I pray that you would be one who would be counted amongst those who have gotten life from the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if that is not you, and you're sitting here going, you know what, I've heard this news a hundred times, but I've never once responded to it, then right now is the time. Right now is the day to trust that Jesus Christ saves you and will save you if you call out to him. So church, do not walk out of this room today without responding to the love of Christ and the death and the resurrection and his calling you to follow him. And I'll just tell you, if that's you right now, come find me. Go talk to Pastor Scott, Pastor Dennis, or somebody else in this room that you know loves Jesus and if they don't know how to talk to you about coming to the Lord, they'll just bring you to one of us anyway. But hear this. Because I know we've got people in this room who aren't usually here. I don't know you. Today's the day. Today is the day to respond to what Christ has done for you, what he's done for all of us who would believe. Make the choice to follow Christ. Feel the Spirit leading you to Him and say yes. Because today is the day. Today is the day. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much for the truth 
God, that we've all heard today, Lord, that you died and that you rose and that you do not want to leave us wherever we are, that you want us to respond and follow. And God, I pray that anyone in this room right now, and I know there's one, that God, that they would turn to you right now. Even as I pray now, Lord, that their hearts and minds would be turning and praying and confessing sin and, and trusting in you for salvation and for life. I pray, God, that we as a church would continue to reach those who need you. God, to continue to grow those who are in you. And Lord, we pray that you would work a mighty power in our hearts and our minds, Lord. Change us. Compel us. Constrain us, God. As we realize the truth of your love for us. God, we pray all this in your name. The precious name of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, church, we come now to the time of the Lord's Supper. And this is a time for believers to remember what Christ has done. We always want to protect this table. That's the way uh, Scott and I talk about it whenever we talk about the Lord's Supper. It's the way a lot of us pastors do that we protect this table. This table is for believers. It is for those who have given their life to Jesus. You don't need to be a member of our church you don't even really need to agree with everything that we say. But you do need to have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior if you eat this meal with us. The Bible tells us that if we eat it incorrectly, we actually are taking sin upon ourselves. And church, I want no part of helping you towards sin. And so if you don't believe yet, then please don't come forward. Use this time to pray. Use this time to ask God that he would speak to you and show you himself. Now I will say this. If you are even just now giving your life to Jesus today for the first time, then you are welcome to this table here, here at Calvary Lahana. It's for believers. And so we invite you to come forward. Now church, Jesus Christ on the night that he was betrayed took the bread and he lifted it. And he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He took his cu the cup and he lifted it and he blessed it. He said, this is my blood which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. We invite you to eat this meal if you believe that. Jesus Christ gave us this so that we would constantly remember what he's done for us. And I pray that that would be the response that you would make today. The blue bucket's up here for your offering today. If you have a gift in obedience to the Lord and to the giving that he calls us to, to give joyfully, willfully, and sacrificially, we invite you to do so, those blue buckets up here. We'll invite you to come down these center aisles. You can come forward and, and then head back around. You can eat this right here as you take it, or you can bring it back to your seats and, and eat it there. You can eat this alone or with your family or those who you've come with. But we invite you to come and to eat and to share in the invitation that Christ himself makes to those who believe. When you're ready, you can come forward and eat. Now before anybody comes up, I want to invite Dwight up, who is going to be singing during this time. So let us pray. Let us reflect. Let us remember what Christ has done. Let us confess our sin to our good and great God. Church, let us. Let us be together.